I've got a beef this morning. You have you have beef. I have beef. We have this. We have this beef. podcast releases on a Friday, and you have beef on a I, Friday. Well, no. Producer Nick usually puts it out on a Thursday night. Uh, that's true too. So, so okay. I'm good. So it's okay. I'm good. And Friday doesn't celebrate a vigil, so we're good. All right. All right. Um, dear listeners, when you're sick, if you're hospitalized. Please call the priest. If you have family who don't go to church, instruct them and insist that call the priest. When the priest is called, it is not bad luck. It does not mean they're going to die. And you do not have to wait the last minute for the sacraments. Because waiting until after you've passed on is too late. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's too late. And the sacraments, while... God can work outside the sacraments. They are the normal means to holiness and can help us in these last moments. Like if someone is in dying and they're sick, I will go every week. Like that's when anointing becomes more frequent, for example, because it's something that will strengthen them. Mm-hmm. And I just, I am a little frustrated this morning because, and we're, we had to delay recording a bit because I had to go to the hospital to, they asked for the last rites. And but they had already been dead for four hours. Oh, man. Uh, you know, Father Dan was saying he's done this too, and I've done this a few times. I just go in and I say the prayers for the dead. Yeah. Right? But the thing is, it's like when the person's alive, there is the um, there is the apostolic pardon to give, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? There is the sacrament of anointing. There's confession. Like there's all these really important things that someone wants to take advantage of. And, and I think sometimes it's just that the kids don't know because their parents never told them or insisted upon them. So, and also it's like if you have if you you know if you have a wallet or whatever, put in your in your wallet. I'm a Catholic. Please call a priest right away. Mm. All these things. I just beg you, please, 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 don't put it off, because it saddens me to go in to find out that they've already passed on, and I didn't find out that they were in the hospital until it was too late. Mm. I don't know. It just saddens yeah. me. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's let's. Because I mean, a lot of people yeah. honestly don't know. Because, I mean, yeah. how often, when's the last time, I mean, I can't remember the last time I preached about the sacrament of anointing. I preached so about I it last summer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. which is good. Yeah. Uh, actually, your story reminded me that I'm going to be looking for an opportunity to do that. Because people think of last rites, yeah. and then there's anointing of the sick, and then you mentioned an apostolic pardon. What's that? Like, right. what, break that down a little bit. All right. So, sacrament of sick is for anyone who is sick in the church or in old age, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there is There is no set rule about frequency. But my, my rule is if they're not in imminent danger, about once a month is, is, is frequent enough for the sacrament of the sick. Um, and that's something that can be given to anyone for serious physical illness or old age, as the ritual says. So that's your sacrament of the sick. Last rites is is really actually the com- is the prayer that I, you see people kind of consolidate everything into last rites. Yeah. The pardon, the prayers for the dying, and the sacrament of an, an extreme unction, as it used to be called. Um, but really the, the last rites is just, it's really the commendation of the dying, right? To help yeah. them journey. And, and, and very interestingly, the prayers for the dead are very similar to the prayers for the dying. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're very similar. Yeah. I was, I was actually noticing that. I was like, oh yeah, they're, these are very similar. The, the yeah. litany of the saints and everything. It's all, it's all very similar. Yeah. And then there's the apostolic pardon, which forgives all temporal punishment due to sin. So that's time in purgatory, basically. That's time in purgatory. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it's uh, 
it's something that the church is able to offer to people in their last moments. So it's a great grace and you want to take advantage of that. And I, if I find someone is in the hospital for whatever serious, and that, that one you have to be careful about not using really, unless it's like meant to be kind of a one-time thing. Yeah. So it's so, so important to receive these things. These are helps. Grace is something that helps us. It's not something to be feared. It's not a harbinger of death. It is a, like, I think sometimes it's unfortunately, some people see the priest when they're coming to anoint the sick, they see them as the harbinger of death. Yeah. But no, we are the harbingers of grace. Right? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, right. We are the harb- we are the bringers of God's help to help them in these last moments so that they know they're not alone, that God is with them, and that God yeah. does not want to abandon them in these last moments. Mm-hmm. That's my rant. No, it's it's good. It's important because I think a lot of people just genuinely don't know. And even like non-Catholics, they know that their parents were Catholic mm-hmm. and they know from movies that a priest is supposed to show up. So they, they're asking for something. They don't even know what they're asking for yeah. and they know how it works. So yeah, yeah, like if someone's in hospice care, like call for a priest right away. Exactly. If something happens suddenly, then they're, they're still taken care of. They still get that sacrament of anointing. Exactly. Which gives them uh, grace and healing and comfort, protection in those last moments. Also forgives all of their sins. It's basically, and has it with potential for his physical healing as well. Yep. Um, all that good stuff. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, um, I had a, I've had some really interesting encounters with the sacrament of anointing too for people. So anyway, maybe I'll share that. Share that for we'll do a sacrament of anointing podcast yeah, one day. Cool, I like it. So uh, have you had those times where you've been called when the person's already died? I actually went to a funeral home because there was a lot of confusion, and that's a whole other story too. Oh, okay. My goodness, you know they were. But yes, I've had to do that before. Gotcha. So I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony, and welcome to Clerically Speaking. Yay, Father Harrison. Yes, I have on my desk a box full of drugs. Uh huh. You have any yeah, follow-up questions? I, 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 I mean, I'm a well-reasoned man to know that by the word drugs, you don't mean like illegal narcotics. Correct. I do not mean illegal narcotics. <laughs> that being said, that being said, I think that if you know Christ had not brought me into his church, if I had not become Catholic, and if my faith wasn't you know, everything to me, yeah. I think I would be super into drugs. Interesting. And I, I say that because one of my uh, kind of my hobbies is, you know, exercise. Right. And I'm like super into all like the extra like supplements and vitamins oh, okay. and that kind of stuff. Those kind of drugs. Those kind of drugs. Right. Yeah. And like some stuff definitely works. Like if you put caffeine in your body, that's going to have an obvious effect. And I think other stuff is good too. But whether it does or it isn't, like just the idea of taking magic potions to make yeah. you better at lifting weights is very yeah. appealing to me. It's hmm. like a video game. Interesting. Right? Yeah. So so basically I signed up for this thing. That's why I say like this is a a, a much more healthy way to, to, to engage in that. But I think if I wasn't Catholic, I would probably just be a terribly sad, lonely druggie. I think that's where I would be. Hmm. But by God's grace, I'm not. And that's wonderful. I also write a lot of sad poetry, I think. But anyway, <laughs> so so basically I signed up for this program with this one uh, uh, supplement company. And every once in a while, they send you a box full of samples. So I've got all kinds of powders <laughs> and pills. And I have no idea what they do, but I'm going to use them all. Nice. And I'm excited about that. So these are to help you with your exercise? Yeah. So some stuff like kind of gets you amped up. Like yeah. uh, pre-workout will get uh, amped up. So that's helpful for me. Because mm-hmm. when like you're tired at the end of the day, but you know you should go exercise, that I, I find helpful. Also, like the fact that I spend some money on this, it, 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 that's a motivator as well. Like Anthony, Father Anthony, you bought all these drugs. 
with like your money, you should make sure you actually exercise or else what the heck are you doing? So it's right. actually kind of a motivator for me as well. I so. I wish I had that motivation for exercise. Mm-hmm. I don't. I uh, Part of it is I hate gyms. Mm, I yeah. find them the most inhuman places possible. <laughs> I don't I don't completely disagree with you. Because it's like nothing <laughs> says human like attaching yourself to these metal machines to increase your body mass or whatever. It's just it's so technocratic to me. It's just like uh so I I do str- and that's so I find it I find it, I find exercise a struggle. I know I'm supposed to do it. Mm-hmm. I know I go for walks once in a while, but I know that's not enough. Yeah, but I can't. I don't know. I've been thinking maybe taking up swimming or something like that because then it's it's a bit more natural. Yeah, and swimming is actually really good for you, and you can do that even when as you get uh, older as well. But like basically, I don't need to be chopping my own firewood or right. doing a lot of manual labor. Like right. being a priest, you don't have a lot of opportunities for that, nor you yeah. need to. So yeah. this is kind of like simulated labor, right? So it's helpful. Cool. Uh, I think it's good. You, I was well, just gonna say, do you want to know who else was swole? Who else was swole, Father Harrison? St. Thomas Aquinas with the Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. We talk about I wonder how much I bet I bet Aquinas could could deadlift a lot of weight. <laughs> he was not a a small man. No. Right? So definitely I, a power lifter build. As you're talking Thomas. about that, I was like, this is a great transition. This just is a great transition. It. I'm going I'm glad for you it. just went for it. All yeah. right. The Summa Theologica with St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology, and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. So first up here, uh, I am going to go with an interesting tweet by Leonard J. DeLorenzo, PhD, Italian, so he's of your clan. Yes. Uh, At Mass this morning, the priest read the gospel and then sat down without a homily, giving us a minute of silence to ponder the word. This is worth emulating, perhaps even as the recommending norm for daily Mass. Daily Mass without homilies is my dream. Hashtag save it for Sunday. And I I thought this interesting because like uh, some people were really uh, actually quite enamored with this, this idea that, you know, you go to weekday mass, just have your simple thing. You you know, we have mass, but you don't have to preach it all the time. Because mm-hmm. I don't know about you. I mean, I love to preach. As you know, I like to talk. Um, and so it's not hard for me to preach during the week. I usually am able to find something to say. Yeah. But there is like this morning i didn't preach and there was just something quite simple and beautiful to the mass there's no opening song or anything you process in you do your uh from the sacristy you do the opening antiphon mass no preaching just a minute of silence and then eucharist and you're done and there was something simply beautiful about that to be honest that i quite appreciated and here's the other thing it's like when i do think that if you're preaching every day during the week you you can sometimes maybe lose a bit of the freshness for the weekend yeah, so I think um, a lot of preaching advice comes yeah. from the fact that people don't preach well. Right. So sometimes I'm hesitant to accept like a a 
piece of advice because it's like, well, if if priests preached well, would we think the same thing? Right. Now, now that being said, there are times where like sometimes the gospel is just like it, or sometimes literally Jesus is just preaching in the gospel reading. And for a daily mass, sometimes I feel silly even commenting on that. Like, how yeah. about we just sit with this for a while? So right. I think that's a good thing to do. But um, so I think it's a good option. My worry is that if I were to start doing that without explaining it, so mm-hmm. I would have to say something because it would become news in the parish. It's like, oh, did you hear Father Anthony didn't preach anything for mass? Is he allowed to do that? Is what is it? Right. So it's a bit of a culture change, I think, has to happen. Yeah. Um, but I'm not opposed to it. I'm not opposed right. to it at all. One of, we had we had a, a priest in seminary who, for daily mass, would sometimes just not preach, and I didn't mind at all. It was kind yeah. of nice. So I, I think it's it's a good option to exercise. Well, and what people don't understand is that um, even the germ uh, says mm-hmm. that it preaching doesn't have to happen during the week. Yeah. It's, it has to happen on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Absolutely has to. But it does not have to happen during the week. So, yeah. you know, uh, weekends have to be a homily. I think we've talked about this before. We weekends did. We have, did. Yeah, yeah. Weekends have to be a homily, which is a reflection on the text so that Christ is kind of speaking through the preaching to the people present um, and kind of concretizing the, the, the heard word of God. Um, but weekdays does not need to be a homily. It could be a sermon, so it could be time for teaching. It could be a time for taking, like, you can do a preaching series on different things. I've done that before. I've done different preaching series uh, for weekday masses. Uh, you don't have to preach on the text during the week. Yeah, and that's just, that's actually what I was, gonna, I was yeah. going to say that uh, preaching daily mass a lot of times I like to give like, oh, here's just a little spiritual insight, or here's right. a little method for prayer, or something like that. And doing that is. It's kind of fun for me to share yeah. that. And I think it's helpful for the people as well. Because if you're going to daily mass, you're probably, at least in some way, already pretty invested in the spiritual life. So I enjoy doing that sort of thing. Right. Cool. What do you have? Oh, I have a tweet from uh, Sarah Therese. Sarah mm-hmm. Therese. Sarah okay. Therese 7. And she sent in a tweet a while ago, months ago. And this is a follow-up tweet that she just sent. And it's at Father Shrava. I'm sorry, I've collected more. Please accept oh, the challenge. Oh yeah, I'm 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 gonna sit back and enjoy this. And basically, and just her cha- <laughs> cringe. <laughs> so get ready for some cringe because what the challenge is is she sent me some names of some saints that I think are maybe French. Or they are maybe all so- French. They are all French. And they I'm, are they are some serious. They are tough. Names. I will be honest. They are tough. But so she wants me to try to read these in the way that I normally pronounce French stuff. So we've got one, two, three, four, um, three, so uh, four, four, four. Yeah. four. It's actually five, but we'll do we'll just do a couple. Okay. okay. <clears throat> And we'll, we'll try to post the actual text of these names, because my goodness, okay. So, Blessed Emile de Autremont de Hugeverst. <laughs> was that, that's the first one. That's pretty good, right? Oh, my gosh. Okay. We also have Blessed Marie-Louis Elizabeth de Lemoyon de Dole Champlatry. <laughs> also, I think it's right on the oh money. My gosh. Um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Next we have, I I, th- I hope the saints have a good sense of humor. Um, okay, we have St. Simon Marie Just Ranfer de Bertinaneries. And then we'll just do one more for the sake of Blessed Rene Marie Frelatru Esprit Dumont. Okay. <sighs> I'm sorry, I love it. I love leaning yes. into that. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna do my. 
I, I'm fairly fluent in French, so I'm going to do... But I will be honest, these are actually very tough names okay, to, okay. to pronounce. So, blessed Emily Durtremont Dugvar. I think that's how you pronounce the last part. Dugvar. Wow. That's a hard one. Blessed yeah. Marie-Louise Elisabeth de Lamagnon de Dolé de Champlatre. C'est Simon Marius Renfer de Bretagnère. And then, blessed René Marie Feyotro Epouse uh, Dumont. Those well, are some of those are actually really tough, like because that's mm-hmm. old French. So yeah, uh, yeah. So who who is to say who pronounced it correctly? No one will ever know. You didn't roll your R's. You didn't, you I didn't get the. Ugh. You didn't get the. Ugh to, my inability to, the to roll my R's is some. I can't whistle. Outrement. I can't roll outre, my R's. Outre. It's well, it's more of a guttural thing. It's in the back of the throat, like outrement, uh, outrement, outre. Just make wookie sounds. <laughs> <laughs> I can't okay, do that's okay. enough for our audio <laughs> podcast. <laughs> oh man, I feel bad for the people in town listening to this while they're driving. All right, well, let's uh, do some Patreon pontifications. Patreon pontifications. You support us, we read your tweets. Please consider donating to our Patreon. Money goes to paying for our equipment and podcast hosting fees, as well as paying producer Nick a just wage for all the work he does. Any money collected that goes beyond that will be donated to the missionaries of charity. Go to patreon.com slash clerically speaking to have a chance at having your chosen tweet talked about on the podcast. And this week's tweet comes from Father Anthony. From Carrie Helmick. And uh, the tweet is a picture of a statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary, kind of in the corner of a house next to a house plant. And the tweet goes as follows. My Baptist parents recently inherited a family heirloom. Me. And you hid her in the corner? Mom. She's... A conversation piece when our friends come over. Me. Mom, she watches over the plants. Me. Mom, I gave her a bath in the sink. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, you know, I think we need to always remember and appreciate that our Protestant brothers and sisters, it's not just a different faith. It's a whole different universe, you yeah. know? Yeah. It's a whole different culture, a whole different worldview. And just the experience of... A, a Baptist family not quite knowing what to do with the statue of Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, but it's, I mean, they tried to do something nice. Yeah. Like, she's next to the plants. And they didn't get plant. rid of the statue. Didn't get so. rid of the statue. But it's like, oh, she can watch over the plants. And she even even gave Mary a bath in the sink. Even, like, you know, cleaned up the statue. Um, so there's some goodwill there, yeah. I guess. Yeah. As, as clumsy as it is. <laughs> Mary, watcher of plants. Pray that's for us. that's, that's going to be her new title. That was yes. a fun game to play in seminary because Mary is queen of the universe, right? Right. So therefore, she's queen of all the things in the universe. Right. So whatever is going on, no matter what it is, like yeah. you could just pray for Mary, queen yeah. of whatever. Pray for us. Mary, watcher of corners. Pray for us. Mary, hidden in the back. Pray for us. (laughs) Mary, queen of workout supplements. Pray for us. So, um, I mean, as long as it's not over anything like inherently sinful or wrong, it's not incorrect. Now, there were things that were sinful. Yes. Right? Absolutely. There were were certain books that were condemned by the church. Mm -hmm. And we want to talk about a book in a Rehashing of the Index. Oh no, it's finally here. The Index! Ah! 
when the index comes to town, we take your books and we burn them. <laughs> The Index was a list of books once forbidden by Roman Ca- the Roman Catholic Church as dangerous to the faith or morals of Roman Catholics. Our Index is where we talk about a book and decide if it would have made that list. Now, this week's book, we, I think we can, we can safely say at the outset, it would not have made the Index. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to try to keep people suspended, in, like not knowing whether or not we would say this book's on the index. So but before we even talk about this book, I have a, I have a bit of a gripe. Of course. Of course. You've got all, kind of, all kinds of beef today. I've got all, I'm, I'm, it's Beef Thursday. It's Beef Thursday. <laughs> um, you, so we want to talk today about Letter to a Suffering Church by Bishop Barron. Mm-hmm. Now, Father Anthony, you got a book. I got you? a free copy of right. a book in the mail. From I don't know if it's true or not, but it sounds like almost every American priest I know got a copy of this book. Yeah, at least in my diocese. Yeah, and it sounds like I think Father Dan got one in his diocese. Mm-hmm. Friar Nick was saying he got one. I mean, everyone. I, I, my, I think Father Michael said he got one. Like everyone mm-hmm. I've been talking to says they've been getting a copy. I'm in Canada. I didn't get a copy. Awkward. Now, we are suffering up here too. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it would have been nice to get a copy. However, 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 uh, when I heard about the Catching Foxes episode talk about this book, I emailed Brandon as well. And I said, hey, uh, this is who I am. Uh, We would like to talk about this book on the podcast. Do you think you could send me a PDF? And he was incredibly gracious. And he sent us, he sent me a copy of the PDF. And I read it this morning and uh, and I quite enjoyed it. It's it's a very simple read, actually, which is quite nice. Uh, And I think it goes over a lot of stuff that we've talked about on this podcast. So, Mm -hmm. um, but we wanted to talk about that today with you all to say, to talk about what Bishop Barron is, is kind of bringing forward. And I think it's really important because really at the heart of the crisis right now, in, in the early 2000s, it seems to me the crisis was around the priesthood. Yeah. It seems to me right now the crisis is around the episcopacy. Yeah, bishops. Right. And so mm-hmm. having a bishop come out and write about this with all sorts of honesty and transparency, I think is very refreshing. Because it's something we're not seeing all the time right now in different form in, in the media, right? And yeah. so uh, I just think like off the top right there, it's the fact that a bishop is writing about this um, is really telling and it's a beautiful thing and it shows, okay, it's not all bad. Yeah. And I think let's get right into it with the preface because he, yeah. he mentions this. He says the book is, is a cry of the heart and he says he's a lifelong Catholic. Can you say that? Can you say the French there? He says the French and it's... This book is a clear de coeur, a cry from the heart. It's going to be tough to do jokes when talking about this. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. No, no, no. You're good. You're fine. It's fine. Clear de coeur. A clear de coeur. Because sometimes uh, Bishop Barron can't help himself. Right. Um, A cry from the heart. He talks about how he's a lifelong Catholic. He's been a priest for 33 years, a bishop for four years. And what you said, I think, is so important right now. Because in a lot of online discourse, in a lot of, you know, even conversations with my priest friends, uh, conversations with some of my lay friends, we've separated the church out into camps, I think, uh, where the priests, I mean, there's there's some like feeling on a lot of priest part where we're looking at the bishops and saying, good, now you have to deal with this. Like, oh, you might be uncredibly or credibly accused. Good. Now you have to know what we've been feeling for a long time. And there's kind of almost a little bit of schadenfreude in that. 
um, which isn't a good thing, but I think it's an understandable thing. Or um, a lot of uh, lay people just looking at the hierarchy of the church and saying, you guys are doing nothing and we have to pick up all the slack. And uh, so it's broken up the church into camps. And I think mm-hmm. what is so, so necessary right now mm-hmm. is for us to realize that we are all in this together. Mm-hmm. We are all Christians together in this and we're all suffering. Mm-hmm. Priests are suffering. Yeah. Good bishops are suffering. Yeah. Lay people are suffering because yeah. of this. Yeah. And he's coming from that aspect, Yeah. but he's also, he doesn't stop being a bishop in this book. Right. He's doing what a father does, which yeah. is teach, explain, suffer with and i really appreciate and, and that there's balance a, there's a real there's a spot where we'll, i think we'll get to it in a bit where he mm-hmm. really i think shows his fatherhood about that with regards to whether or not one should leave the church oh yeah um, yeah. um but yeah like I, I mean yeah it is the suffering i remember actually because i was going down to his conference for priests yeah. in august and it was just when all the mccarrick stuff was going down mm-hmm. and i remember for the first time ever in my life thinking should I wear my collar on the plane? Yeah. I That thought never even crossed my mind before, but it shows like the suffering that even priests are kind of enduring with all this, that like it's a, it's that question. It's like, a, it's a question of identity. I mean, I did, I did. I was like, nope, this is who I am. I'm going to do this. I mean, and, and so, but I just, I, I remember being just so struck by that. Like for me, it was unnerving that the question crossed my mind. Yeah, and that's actually that just hit me again because this week, oh my goodness, you know, you have the accusations against uh, how Cardinal Donardo handled a recent case where mm-hmm. um, a, a priest was abusing a, an adult woman, mm-hmm. and I had the day I was reading that story, I had a meeting with a couple get, going to get married, and this is something I do all the time. You meet with the couples, mm-hmm. and we're kind of just filling out the intake form. So it's a it's a questionnaire, just basically seeing uh, can you be married. Yeah. And what you do that is that you have to interview them separately. Mm-hmm. So uh, you interview the, the bride, you interview the groom. And when I went to interview the bride, like I normally close the doors just for privacy sake. And that's you know, mm-hmm. just to keep the process what it's mm-hmm. supposed to be. And I felt nervous about closing the door. Right. Yeah. Like even though like it would never be a temptation or anything for me. Yeah. It really wouldn't. Yeah. Like just the I like those. Yeah. It messes with you. Exactly. Yeah. I had I was just just this morning. I was sitting in the church reading this in front yeah. of the Blessed Sacrament. And um, a lady walked into the church to go set up for Mass. And we were the only two there. And I was just like, I mean, we have, thank we have cat, we've got cameras and everything. But like that, yeah. that, that was the first thing of, should I be here anymore? And that's like, it's, it's like, it's sad. It's like, it's such a, it's such a, it's such a hard thing to have to live through. <laughs> I think it's important to like also acknowledge, it's not like we don't trust these people. Right. But it's it's you get you do get kind of paranoid. Yeah. Like I mean, the people we meet with, they're they're good people, and so it's not that. It's just that this whole crisis creates so many wounds in so many different ways for so many different people. Right. So, so let's just kind of walk through, I think, each chapter quickly yeah. because uh, you know I want to just say, to people, I, I really encourage you when it comes out in July to buy the book. Uh, I also love how. He's not keeping any money for himself. All the anything made off of this is going to go to uh, people, uh, to organizations that help people who have suffered sex abuse from clergy. Yeah. Uh, I'm buying a cop. I actually I got our Knights of Columbus. I said, buy a copy for the buy a copy for every member of this parish. Yeah, we're gonna we're, give. We're, 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 we're talking about doing that too, maybe. Yeah, because uh, if you pre-order them right now, actually it's like a dollar each or something like that. So it's really not that expensive. Yeah. So. Um, 
I really encourage people to read it because I think it's I think it'll give you some hope, mm-hmm. and I hope it gives you. You see, I think for us, like as clergy who have had education in the history of the church, we like some of the stuff he talks about. This makes sense to us, but if you're someone who doesn't who hasn't been exposed to the whole history and depths of of our faith. Some of these those those questions you have, I think this book will try to will answer well. And so in the first chapter, he calls it the devil's masterpiece. And I mean, he he brings out some some really startling facts, right? Yeah. Four billion dollars that came in large part, and this was like the part like that's always the part that came to me. Four billion dollars that came in large part from the generous donations of Catholic people. Four billion dollars that could have been used to build parishes, schools, universities, hospitals, and seminaries. Four billion dollars that could have gone to educate children, to heal the sick, to care for the hungry and the homeless, to propagate the gospel, have been used to settle these charges. And yeah, it's obviously not the money. Is that yeah. not what we're complaining about? Yeah. But it's it it's a way to in some way quantify yeah. and put into some sort of perspective all the evil that's happened. Exactly. And it's just crazy. Yeah. And so the whole argument of this chapter is showing how it, it this is a sin that really has affected the whole body of Christ. Yeah. Uh, it, I think he does a good job. to sh- Like he says, consider this. Every particular act of sexual abuse by a priest establishes an extraordinary ripple effect through families, parishes, and communities. That's, like, that's always the, what the church is taught about, the social nature of sin. It's not just an individual action. It affects other things. It affects other people. There is no such thing as isolated sin. Yeah. Um. And so it's having this ripple effect, and but and I think like the key of this chapter is where he's talking about um, the priesthood, about the unique identity of the priest, and how in many ways like he quotes Renario Cantalamessa, who says for many people the the priest is the, if it, when a priest smiles it's the smile of God Himself. Yeah, we mediate the presence of Christ to the world, mm-hmm. and so when that there's a reason the devil has gone after the priesthood here. Yeah. Because this is where Christ is imaged in a very concrete way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I remember when the scandal first broke, hearing some people say, I think they were saying this because they didn't want to believe it was true or didn't want to deal with the reality. But I was hearing some people say that they were disappointed that this was being brought up again. They weren't upset about the fact that evil had been done. They were upset that now it was being talked about again. And shouldn't they, can't we just keep this all quiet? And so you can see, yeah, yeah, the attitude that on part of so many people that allowed these terrible acts of evil to occur. And that silent cooperation that's like, like, you know, good people doing nothing, mm -hmm. right? It's Yeah, and then his aspect, talking about, I think it's very important to realize that this, what is going on is satanic, and he balances it really well. Yeah. It's not like we're puppets. Right. We're Satan's puppets. He, but this is definitely under his influence with right. the cooperation of so many priests and bishops. Yeah. And to realize that no, Satan is real and he wants to tear down the church. He won't be able to tear down the church, but he can do damage while he still has the time. If, um, if you think like he, he talks about this, about how like these priests in some of the horrible things they did, they twisted the priesthood, right? Like, they did. They use some very vulgar. Like there's some. Like he he doesn't shy away from some of the vulgar examples. Yeah. And I think it's important to show that we're, we 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 take this seriously, right? Mm-hmm. And, and because at the heart of this, we believe that the church is the body of Christ. And if it's the body of Christ, then it mediates Christ's presence to the world. And so if you attack some of the one of the hearts of the church, which is the priesthood and the episcopacy, 
you're attacking the very integrity of the body to be that image of Christ to the world. So like in that, like he goes on later on to say like, we shouldn't leave the church, obviously, but it also helps you understand why people think about it. Yeah. Because they, they stop seeing Christ's image in his body. Mm-hmm. And so they yeah. stop thinking he's not there. They start thinking he's not there. And just, I was going to plug one thing. CNA newsroom did an episode where they interviewed one of the victims of McCarrick. Mm-hmm. And I think in all of this, because if you don't know someone personally who has been abused, listening to that interview really yeah. brought it home. Because sometimes mm-hmm. we're tempted to talk about this as just an issue. Yeah. And by doing that, you kind of turn the victims into a number. Right. And that episode really clarified just the pain that goes through, but also the hope that's possible. So right. if you, I, I recommend everyone check out that episode of yeah. CNA Newsroom. Cool. And then he, he talks about the McCarrick stuff um, very bluntly. Uh, yeah. How about, and he, I think he does a good job of, of really, people like, because people say, well, why didn't they just report him? I'm like, people don't realize the power differential at play there. Yeah. Right? Like, no, you, if, if a bishop say, it says your name is mud, your name is mud everywhere, right? Once, once one dies, he says, no way, man, you're gone. There's no way. It's going to be almost impossible to find another place to become a priest. So there is that, there is that power dynamic there. And then like, and I think he does a good job of really kind of showing that McCarrick continued to, that he calls him like that roving ambassador and a kingmaker. Um, and the fact like, so that's the other thing. It's like, there's other people who knew and that needs to be brought to the light. Mm-hmm. Like, there's going to be people who we think are our heroes in the church who are going to be brought down. Yep. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. And that's okay because it's, we will not, we will not get through this unless the rot gets exposed. Yeah. And just to, in seminary, we had this kind of like gallows humor joke that would often be said uh, that seminarians are the lowest class in the church. Right. You have none of the privileges or rights of the laity. And, <laughs> and the reason why we talked about that is because of that. Like, you want more than anything to be a priest. And, yeah. like, all the guys in seminary with me, and even, it, you know, generations before, like, none of the guys in seminary with me, like, most of us don't even remember a time when there was not where there wasn't knowledge of the scandal in the church. Like our entire right. experience of the church has been with the scandal. Yeah. And for those men, knowing all of that, even before the, the report came out, to still give their lives for Christ and his church and his people, they mm-hmm. want nothing more than to be priests. And in a very real way, even though, you know, your vocation's in God's hands, there's also cooperation with the church. And those members of the church can impede that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, not every time a seminarian is not allowed to be a priest doesn't mean that every time that's not justified. Right. I mean, there are guys who, they go to seminary, they may have good intentions, but they should not be priests, and they're not allowed to be priests. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a difficult thing, but that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to keep in mind how difficult it was for these men mm-hmm. uh, who want nothing more than to be a good priest for God's people. Right. So uh, his next chapter is um, looking at it from the light of scripture. And I think he does a really good job of showing like the Bible is not this nice little story of, of God relating to the world. Like there, there's some, some pretty nasty stuff that happened even in scripture like yeah. around like Lot, right? And the story of Lot. But he makes this point in there about um, at the beginning about how even the Bible shows like, yes, sex is a great gift from God. Mm-hmm. But when it gets detached out of the context of love, 
it becomes a tool for like power, dominion, manipulation, et cetera, he says. Mm-hmm. And this kind of got me really thinking about that. Like it, it kind of struck a chord for me because I think in a way the church has such a, in a way an authority if you, I, I, I know it's going to sound weird for a second, but the church actually has her sexual authority because she's experienced so much what happens when sex gets removed from love. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So basically, we have a history. We have scripture. We have a history where you, you've seen the evil. Right. You've seen what happens. And so not only speaking from the fact that God tells us what sexuality is for, we also have the example of what happens when it's not used for that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we we know deeply, even experientially, why sex in the context of love and marriage is proper for this thing, because we have seen and have experienced even in our own ranks what happens when people take it out of its context of love and mutual self-gift, etc. So um, were there any stories that really kind of struck out to you about... about uh, that from scripture? Well, I want to, this is a kind of related to it, but I was thinking about how poorly we have as a church, especially in the last 50 or so years, how, and probably beyond that, how poorly we have prepared people for the reality of sin. Right. Mm-hmm. When the cross isn't preached in its totality, so truly understanding what Christ suffered, truly understanding the evil of the world, truly understanding the evil of the human heart. Yeah. When all you preach is that you're okay, I'm okay. When all you preach is don't worry, Jesus loves you. If you don't preach that with all the vividness yeah. that it deserves, then you don't prepare people for when crosses inevitably happen. Right. You don't prepare, like people aren't allowed to have wounds. People aren't allowed to be suffering. Mm-hmm. If you don't, preach the cross people are and i saw this i mean i see this a lot just in parish life at funerals mm-hmm. that people are not prepared for death mm-hmm. and if the church isn't preparing someone for death then like what are we doing right and i think there's something analogous with there where we haven't prepared people for the reality of sin because we haven't talked deeply about it and you can't just talk about sin you have to talk about it in the light of god's mercy mm-hmm. but i think that has added to the confusion right. and the crisis. And I mean, like, the, there's a whole the reasons why I think sin fell away. I think part of it was because it was also manipulated in how it was presented yeah. 60, 70 years ago, right? It was like, you're always horrible. You're always doing these bad things, right? Right. And that's not a healthy, balanced context towards sin. I was mm. actually, I was having um, lunch at a parishioner's the other day. He's retired foreign service agent, and he was in the police force before that. And I said, to, I was saying to him, I said, do I think police and priests were one of the few people who really get that while there's a lot of good in human nature, there's also a lot of bad. Yeah. <laughs> you have that honesty. Um, I, I was really struck. There, at the end of, of page 29, he talks about um, the story of Eli and his sons. And I don't want to kind of go break it all down, but he talks about how God kind of chastised Eli for his complacency and his sons for mishandling the priesthood, etc., and how God used foreign agencies to purify them, to purify mm-hmm. Israel of that. And he has this, this, this line really struck me. It goes, those with a biblical frame of reference shouldn't be surprised. The new Israel of the church has been handed over to its enemies precisely for the sake of purification. That, like, I was like, I was like highlighting like crazy that line because, <laughs> yeah, we, 
you have like I think it gets to something that he's always been really trying to promote is this idea that we have you can only understand the new in the context of the old. And so we have we are the new Israel. And so if that's happening, that means God's going to work through those foreign agencies to bring us down, not to destroy us, but to but to purify us. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, media outlets who sometimes even mistreat or mishandle or misrepresent things. Yeah. Or gonna, I mean, or just in fact, let's just call out what some reporters are. They're they're enemies of the church. Right. There are people out there who yeah. who hate the church, and that's a motivation. Like, the, were the motivations for putting out the PA grand jury report were they all pure? I don't know. Right. Um. There's a lot of complicated with it, but yeah. the fact is that these things did happen. Yeah. And I think that that adds to the fact that the devil wants to take away your past and he wants to take away your future. Right. He wants to keep you in the moment mm-hmm. and take away both of those things. And this will happen in, in almost any temptation. When you're in spiritual darkness, it feels like any of the good that happened didn't happen. Anything right. you learned from the bad is gone in yeah. those moments. Also, he, he tries to tempt you to despair that there can be no hope for the future. I think what putting this in the biblical context and then a church history context in the next chapter does is it reminds us that even though things are very difficult now, ultimately all of history is in God's hands. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, even talking about the bad things is a reminder of the hope we have in Jesus Christ because yeah. all of this is in his hands. Yeah, And yeah, a lot of times that purification, it looks ugly in the moments. Like the crucifixion by itself is not a good thing. Right. Like human beings killing God is bad. Yeah, and he goes into that. Right. Right? Yeah. But Christ takes that and transforms that and mm-hmm. ultimately into healing, into mm-hmm. glory, into salvation. Um, he has this section on childlikeness. And I almost want to skip it, not because it's not worth talking about. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth reading on your own. Okay, Does that yeah. make sense? Does that make sense? It's yeah. a very it's a very powerful part part, and I think uh, I want I, that's why I want to encourage people to get this book because I think that's one of, it's one of his most powerful sections. But it's such a it's such a powerful image that to get the heart of it, you need to kind of read it in its own context of what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I and I think like a lot of this book is something that you could take to a holy hour and pray with, yeah. especially if you're hurting with it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, yeah, we can just leave that. Yeah. Okay. So then, then we've been here before, which is uh, a litany of ecclesial Ooh. sins. <laughs> you think what's bad now, folks? I mean, it's actually been worse. It's, it's actually, actually been, been worse. worse. You yeah. might find that hard to believe. It has actually been worse. Now, he, he, he has that great phrase from St. Paul around the uh, treasure in earthen vessels, mm-hmm. right? And he says that, um, this treasure is the grace of Christ, right? We are the vessels. So, we, you know, and this is something that's very important for the next chapter, but that this is this is what we're... So the vessels sometimes break down, crash, um, fall apart, but the grace is still there. Yeah. The grace is still there. And he has this great quote from John Henry Newman. He says, the cause of Christ is ever in its last agony. You know, he's going through... Every age thinks this is, this is horrible. Every age thinks this is a crisis. Every age thinks it's lost faith. Because the church is always going through its agony. I remember hearing on a podcast what saying that the natural state of the church is the cross. Mm. And I think that's kind of what Newman's trying to get at there. Because the cross is real, and the agony of the church is real as we go through the sins of her members. And not just clergy, not just bishops, not just laity, even popes. In fact, that's where he puts a lot of his emphasis on. 
yeah. is papal sins. Yeah, because there were some bad ones. <laughs> Very bad ones. I was just like, oh. I mean, I knew about some of these ones, and I was like, another ones, I was like, oh, it was that bad. I didn't know it was that, that bad. Yeah, well, like, just, just to share one story, one of the yeah. popes who literally died having sex. Yeah. Like, just, like, w- w- what? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but I think it's also important, uh, this painting of uh, a more accurate picture of church history, because there's a very poisonous myth among some Christians, uh, the myth of Christendom. Right. And it's not to say that when Europe was more Christian, that was a bad thing. I'm not saying that at all. But the the poison of the myth is this idea, and you can pick any time frame you like, this idea of a golden age of the church where everything was good. And that simply has never existed in our history. It never has. And so the idea that if we just pick a time period and do everything like they did, everything will be better, that is at best naive and at worst a dangerous project to try to embark on. Well, it's very interesting because the other issue I've been noticing today is everyone's saying, okay, priests bad, bishops bad, so the laity need to kind of gain control of the church. Mm-hmm. Essentially, well, like he, he's he's recounting the the story of Pope Alexander, who was part of the Borgia family, right? They got the papacy for for civil and personal political gain, yeah. um, and that was a large lay influence, you know. The and I will address what the real fix is. It's not these people getting more power or those people going getting more power because if you're looking at it from the lens of power and control, that isn't going to be the fix. Yeah. The fix is actually something much deeper than that. Uh, um, and I think someone like St. Peter Damien kind of starts to kind of sh- shed some light on, on on how we can be that fix. Yeah, before we get into that, yeah. but just that idea. Um, we talked about it when we talked about it on our Mary podcast. Mm-hmm. The idea that this church is just an institution that we need to fix. And particularly in our political moment, when there's a lot of desire, especially in North America, either for... Um, revolution or activism, uh, party politics, we take that framework and too many Christians take that framework and apply it to the church like the church works the same way. Yeah. Which is not to say, and no one's saying this, that there aren't institutional things that we need to do. There certainly are. But there's this idea that if we just give the right power to the right people, we're thinking about the church in purely worldly terms. Exactly. And if you do that, you're not going to fix the problem. You're just going to move the problem into a, a new arena. F- exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And I and I, and he he does that at the end of, of the book there. But I I think there's a hope though too of, of someone like Saint Peter Damien who who is this cry and and I think this is there's a lot there about Saint Peter, but this is for me the big thing when Saint Peter calls out some of the priests for what he calls the general sin of sodomy, but for him sodomy is something actually much more broad. It's not just homosexual activity. It's even uh, preying on young men and boys. Mm-hmm. And he calls it spiritual incest. Yeah. And I thought, what a great image to kind of help us understand what has been going on. It is spiritual incest. And, and I, I, there's no, we shouldn't couch that. That is what yeah. it is. Well, this is why there there is no such thing as separating, for me, sins against Young people sins against prepubescent sins against adults because every there can be no consent between a father and a child. Exactly. There can't be. That's so gravely disordered, as a matter of fact, that you can't just say, oh, at least it was an adult. No. Like, there's a reason why we call priests father. And yeah. that's not purely 
a metaphor. There is a deep spiritual reality to that. So the kind of like to, to separate those things, like certainly, certainly, you know, I you know, more damage can be done to a child. I don't want to diminish that in any sense, but to let adults off the hook, yeah, is is incredibly wrong. Exactly, and I think that uh, what I that's where I find very um, interesting with the new legislation from the Pope about this, right? It actually addresses this, this power dynamic that when you are in an adult relationship or if you entered into one or whatever, that there's already an automatic power dynamic there where you're, is consent possible really truly? And I would say no. And that no. anyone, and that's why we have to be, I mean, there is a gradation of sin, right? Sure. There is a gradation of sin. Absolutely. But and I think this is where the church has to address this. Okay. Let's say a priest, uh, had a relationship with someone as an adult, who's mm. an adult. What is what? What happens from that? Do we penalize them fully by laicizing them, or is there a is there a form of penance or renewal that they need to go through? Um, like, what is the pathway forward? And I think that's a question we haven't really started to address yet. But I think it's going to be one we're going to have to. Yeah, I just want to say one word on that. Yeah, those things are not simply mistakes. No, you don't you don't trip and fall one day as a priest and have sex with a woman or a man. Yeah. Like this is something this that mark is the fruit of a tree with deep and disordered roots in it. Yeah. That so much must have been going wrong in that priest's spiritual life and psychological life already. Yeah. And right now I'm at the point where if 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 you commit that sin, it's not to say you can't be forgiven. Like right. God is merciful right. and you can be forgiven, but I'm at the point right now where you can't act as a priest anymore. Right. You just or, can't. Or maybe would you say, you see, this is the question, or maybe would you say they can't act as a priest publicly anymore? Right, exactly. No more public ministry. Yeah. Um, you're, 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 just, you've, been, you've been sentenced to a life of penance and prayer in, in a monastery. Because you will need the rest of your life to yeah. do penance. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think that's even a mercy for the priest. Yeah. Like, somehow you've gotten to this point, you need to spend the rest of your life yeah. in prayer and penance. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. So, uh, the next chapter, he makes a very compelling argument about why we should stay. And this is where he exercises his uh, Episcopal fatherliness, right? Mm-hmm. He says, there is no good reason. Uh, there is uh, no good reason to leave the church. And why? I was so happy that he said that. Because of the treasure we have, right? So, he's, mm-hmm. he's continuing what he says in the previous chapter. We hold these, these grace these treasures in earthen vessels, the treasure is there. We're there for the treasure, not for the vessels, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. And I was so happy to hear him say this um, because I don't, I think too often we can, um, and he, 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 he acknowledges all the things we can be going through, anger, frustration, um, you know, whatever it is. And, and, but why would you want to leave the grace that Christ has offered us in the church? And it's this idea, like St. Peter Damien did not leave the church. Yeah. He stayed, um, you know, all these great reforming saints never left the church. They stayed in the church to mm-hmm. reform it. I think, I mean, part of what makes this, the whole devil's masterpiece thing, yeah. is that even before this crisis, there's been a crisis of faith in the church. Mm-hmm. And uh, even, in, you know, uh, in Benedict's letter that came out a little while ago, mm-hmm. the main point and the point that people seem to miss and then pick up on the main point was like there's a huge crisis of faith that these mm-hmm. are these are matters of faith so if your faith is if church has been 
a thing that's kind of a hobby on Sundays. Um, or if it, for a priest, if it's just been something that you just kind of fell into somehow, I don't know. Yeah. It's going to make this scandal all the more potent in your life. Yeah. And yeah. that's like, I'm not blaming those lay people. I'm not blaming right. them at all because, you know, who taught them or who didn't teach them? So I don't want to act like, you know, we should blame them, but we have to say very clearly and very firmly with love that you, if you leave the church, you leave God. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. Yeah, yes, God is everywhere, but... Because here's the thing. The church isn't just the clergy. Yeah. Right? It's he has this great phrase. A... The church is an organism, not an organization. Yes. And guess what? Lay people have a part in that organism, right? Mm-hmm. We have a place to play in this. And um, the when we were just saying, I want to just get out of here, I'm done with this, that's a reasonable frustration to have, but it's not one to act upon. Yeah. Because this is, and he goes through this whole litany of what are the treasures, right? We have the treasure of the incarnation. We have the treasure of the Trinity. We have the treasure of the church. We have the treasure of the sacraments. We have the treasure of the, he has this amazing litany of saints, right? Um, These are the treasures we have. Why would you not, why would you leave? Because yeah, that vessel was total junk. Leave it, put it aside. But the, uh, but look at the great treasures of these great saints who did hold the tre- this treasure well. And let's look to them. And he's kind of setting up, in a way, kind of the end of the book. Um, because he, this is our treasure. Christ is risen. And that changes everything, regardless of how people have manipulated the church. Yeah. Actually, I want to read that, uh, yeah. that quote about the saints. Yeah. I think it's important. So um, we recall St. Francis, the troubadour of Lady Poverty, who revolutionized medieval Europe by his reckless abandon to God's providence. We ruminate on St. Catherine of Siena, who looked with mystical vision into heaven and tended the wounds of the poorest here on earth. We celebrate St. Francis Xavier, who crossed oceans to proclaim the gospel to those who had never heard of Christ. We think on St. Francis de Sales, who showed how the most ordinary things of life can be sanctified. We reverence St. Peter Claver, whose service to African captives coming to the New World was so devoted that he was called the Slave of Slaves. We hold up St. Damien of Molokai, who volunteered to care for lepers in Hawaii, knowing that he would never leave their island enclave alive. And he just goes through this huge litany of saints. I think that does a few things. Is One reminds us of how many canonized saints we have, and just the truth of their lives, the witness of their lives proves the gospel, but also, as he goes through it, and the litany is even longer, it shows you mm-hmm. that there is room for you among this company of saints. Exactly. That the, just the diversity of cultures, of even personal interests, it's a reminder and a call for all of us. This is who we are to be in yeah. our own way, by the grace of God. Yeah. And, and something he brings up at the end, it's like, we're not Catholics because of our leaders are flawless, but we become, because we find the claims of Catholicism both compelling and beautiful. Yeah. And for me, when I read that, I thought, well, this is why people leave. We have failed to form them in these core principles. Right? Oh my but this goodness. Is like, you know what I mean? Like, like this is, this is, this is the real heart of, of, of a lot of people leaving. It's, well, that's because we didn't tell them uh, that the Trinity is compelling. We haven't lived the compellingness of the Eucharist, and we haven't shown why these things are super important. We haven't lived these things, essentially. We haven't taught them well enough, and so, of course, people are going to leave. Because, like, like, yes, people are leaving the church, but also people are coming because they find these things compelling and beautiful. Yep. So, 
You want to take the lead on the last chapter? Yeah, so the last chapter is the way forward. Yep. And it begins by talking about um, the things that have happened since 2002, uh, that of the 400 cases in the PA grand jury report, only two of them occurred after 2002. Um, the mandatory reporter training, um, and this is something that it's, it's a constant thorn in the side of, of people in parishes because they say, you know, I'm an usher. Or I'm, I'm in the choir. We're in the choir loft. We're, we don't even interact with anybody. But no matter what you do, if you work for the church or volunteer for the church in any way, you have a background check. And to those people who have difficulty with that or get frustrated and say, I just don't want to do it then, I just offer, think of what it's like for to be a priest. And I literally gave my life for the church. I went through seminary for eight years, and I have to have an FBI background check as well. This is a very minor suffering we have to go through. Very, very minor for the sake of the church right now. So if you're like hesitant in volunteering for the church because you have to do a background check and that offends you, I say this with love. You have to get over yourself a little bit uh, to realize like this is the state we're in and we're all going to suffer in, in small ways because of it. So he goes over all that stuff, which is fine and good, but that's not the heart of this chapter. The heart of this chapter is the universal call to holiness. And mm-hmm. I found this very affirming because this is mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what we've been saying, or at least trying to say yeah. uh, through all this. Um, yeah. Basically, it's it's saints that reform the church. And so he calls people to prayer. He calls them to sainthood um, because that is what, more than anything else, mm-hmm. will reform the church. Mm-hmm. And just that's what the chapter is really about. And to many people, that can seem like not enough. Mm-hmm. But if it's not enough, I would challenge you. Uh, because that attitude of you know prayer, of love of neighbor, of going out, of doing the Christian thing, if that's not enough for you, there's something about the faith that you have not come to, to grasp or appreciate yet. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's at the heart of what this book is about. Mm-hmm. It's a cry to everyone to become a saint. Yep. Become part of that great litany. Become part of that great treasure. Um because, like, I think for me, like, one of the hurts that I've been going through all this is seeing, like, yeah, this, the blatant careerism. I think part of it is, like, I'm seeing this and it's just like, and I'm, this is why I'm grateful. I was tweeting about this this morning. I'm, this is not my experience of the church in Western Canada. Mm-hmm. Most bishops I know from in Western Canada, they took their office with fear and trepidation. Yeah. There was, it was not even on their radar. Yeah. And you hear this to talk about it. Their stories are almost consistent. Uh, like my, my spiritual director is a bishop now from the mm-hmm. seminary and he flew out to Ottawa to say to the nuncio, I don't think I should be a bishop because I'm too old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, like when I'm hearing about all this stuff, I'm thinking these guys don't care. Oh yeah. I don't care. I'm 70. Yeah. I want to be a bishop because I want these advantages. I want this money. You're hearing about, yeah, you're hearing about the stuff in about with like Bishop Bransfield and it, it, like it sickens me about the money stuff and like, and, and it just, it, 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 is infuriating but i don't i don't leave for that i will never leave because at the heart of it bishop baron's right i gotta become a saint like for me my spiritual life has tripled and quadrupled this last year because i see how seriously i need to take being a saint because if i don't i will become like these men who have tarnished the image of the church Mm mm-hmm and I can't let that happen. And that's like you're saying, um, this idea where people think, well, that's not practical enough. Yes, it is. 
yeah. being a saint is the most practical thing to do. Mm-hmm. Because when you become a saint, it attracts other people to become saints. Yep. And then they become saints. It, it, it beca- you see spiritual fruit of this. No policy, no policy is going to fix this. Not giving more power to another group is going to fix this. Because then you just keep keeping that same cycle. The heart of it is become a saint. Pray. Do works of mercy. Study the faith more. Um, and when you become a saint and show how much this gives fruit in the midst of this darkness, then you are a light. You are Christ's light to the world to say, this is still possible. Yeah. This, this treasure is still here. And not only is it the most practical thing, it's literally the only thing. Because we've yeah. already started to see the rotten fruits of an activist culture trying to fix this thing. Yeah. Where... Um, and people who are making money off the scandal as well, writing books and this sort of thing. That's one of the things I appreciated about uh, Bishop Barron's book, the fact that, one, it, it, it is giving, almost giving it away, but also yeah. any money that's made is going to victims. Exactly. Um, but also, like you see with, with blogs and with other things, all that the, the only fruit that I've seen from that stuff is this increase of impotent anger yeah. and fractioning and yeah. a lack of trust and... Yeah. A scandalizing other people away from the faith because yeah. this is not a thing we can solve through purely human means exactly. and if you try to do that it's going to be not only increasingly fruitless but also going to bear evil fruit right and just increase the division well, in the church and that's the next temptation of the devil to say you can fix this yes no god god will put you know if, if god wants you to fix things He's going to put, he's going to, and first, it's not going to be an overnight thing. It's probably going to be the fruit of 10 or 20 or 30 years of moral and spiritual preparation, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, just look Um, at the lives of the saints that were reformers of Catherine of Siena, of uh, Teresa of Avila, uh, John of the Cross. Um, Their own, their own healing and their own sanctification came first. Mm -hmm. And it didn't Mm -hmm. happen overnight for those, for those guys. Exactly. You know? It's like, that's why I keep on, that's why I'm trying to increase things like adoration and stuff in my parish, because I really recognize, and I'm trying to do more fasting, and I'm trying to do all these things because I need God. Yeah. And I see what happens when you lose God. Mm-hmm. And that scares the crap out of me. Yeah, absolutely. Like, everybody has experienced this in very ordinary ways of yeah. what happens when they stop praying. Yeah. But that, and also I want to add this, because he does mention that, like, hey, yeah, write to your bishop. Yeah. You know, there are there are avenues of conversation. There are things that you can do and should do. Yeah. Um, but not to put all of your trust and hope in those things. Exactly. So it's not a quietism at all. I think there also has to be an honesty in all this too. And I think because it's like, as a priest, you see, you see that spiritual authority, you see that power dynamic, and it's scary. Yeah. Absolutely. And I don't. There, there are people. Who I don't are, want to be like anyone else. I want to be a saint. Yeah. And if I don't pray. I, I just know what my nature is capable of. Yeah. And that scares the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's, and that's not, I'm not saying that's just about me. I think anyone who's honest with their heart sees that that's where their heart will tend to ultimately. If it doesn't worship God, it will mm-hmm. worship the devil. Yeah. And you have to be honest with your heart to see that. And so be a saint, folks. Please, please be a saint. Yeah. Please be a saint. And and the, the thing of like also being a, a saint, and it's it's a practice of the theological virtue of hope. What makes hope difficult is not that we're unsure of the outcome, is just so we cannot see the outcome or how it's going to happen right now. Yeah. So hope is based on faith. Faith yeah. is our knowledge of what God has you know, done for us yeah. and continues to do for us. And hope is just remembering that and applying that to the future. Yeah. 
So to remember that, yes, all of this is in God's hands. God sees it all. And if, you, if you've really been looking and praying at this crisis, I think you can already see it happening. Mm-hmm. You can see it happening. And he mentions uh, a few like really good groups, uh, Opus Dei, Focus yeah. Missionaries. He says like God is raising up saints right now. Yeah. Yeah. And he's using even the worldly elements to purify the church. It is happening. Yeah, but we we still have a long way to go. And I think we do. with with this Bransfield stuff, I think we have a whole another crisis of money in the church. Yeah, I think you're going to see that oh, more and more, and how gross it is. Paul I Harrison, mean, have you yes. ever given an envelope of cash to any of your friends before? I have not. Right? It's a weird thing to do. <laughs> like like Paul Harrison, if I were to invite you to give a parish mission over here in Pittsburgh, like I you know pay for your flight, of course. There's yeah. a, a, a very modest stipend and that yeah. sort of thing. That's normal. But like me handing you thousands of dollars in cash in an envelope and saying, "Oh, do with this what you will," is a yeah. weird thing to do. It's incredibly, incredibly weird. And I think there's. I think you're saying this is a little bit more speculation. So so yeah. with a grain of salt. But I think like the 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 when you're talking about your bishops yep. um, that you know and stories, I I know bishops like that too. Yeah. Um, who accepted the office of fear and trembling. But I think there's even like there's worldly hierarchies even within hierarchies, and right. the dismantling of that I think you're going to see more and more, and it's going to be painful. It's going to be like in the American Catholic Church, there has been this desire and this tendency. Can't we just be like everyone else? Yeah. Like, because when you're surrounded in a Protestant culture, and that's what the U.S. is, it, at least it began as a primarily Protestant culture, there's a desire, like, because it's hard to witness in that yeah. when you yeah. have good friends who are not either not Christian or of a different kind. And so you you see that going on, and there's a desire just to be like everyone else, and that's really yeah. dampened the faith. Yeah. And more and more and more, the church is going to be a laughingstock to the world. Yeah. It always has been, but it's going to be way more acute. You're going to feel embarrassed about being a Catholic. You're going to have those feelings. You're going to have something, maybe not the same thing as when Father Harrison and I walk into a store, I walk into a sheets with uh, my collar on and I almost feel nervous about just using the bathroom. But yeah. you're going to feel something. Yeah. And that's, you're, we're going to have to, the only way to get through that, and not only to get through that, but to even witness mm-hmm. in your daily life is going to be through constant, constant prayer. Yeah. And... I've been pondering this more and more, and I think Benedict's kind of prophecy of the church of the future, Pope Benedict's, yeah. about the church is going to be smaller. Mm-hmm. I think I'm seeing that has to be a reality. It does. Like, but- because here's the thing. Like, yeah. like for example, you, you we hear about the stuff in Galveston, Houston. And I'm not, I don't know the whole situation, obviously. Yeah. But here's the thing. Like, and this is where people don't understand maybe how dioceses work. Yeah. yeah, that priest might have gotten a letter of good standing, but the bishop may never have even seen it. Mm-hmm. Because chanceries might be too big, yeah, right. Because dioceses are too big, yeah, right. Like this is where I'm really grateful about being in a smaller diocese. Like mm-hmm. I said, I had my bishop stay here for three days one week. Yeah, <laughs> three days. I don't think you would ever hear that of anyone in in, in an American diocese. Yeah, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'd be lucky if you had a bishop stay overnight because he had to travel a long way to do a confirmation or something. Right. Yeah. I know my bishop well. I can, I have, there's an intimacy, and I think that's the thing. It's like bishops and priests need to see that father-son relationship again. Mm-hmm. Dioceses need to reduce their bureaucratic structures because we have to stop, like, looking, because, yeah, or else we're going to take on the organization of the world. And that lets in people who want to take advantage of the church. Yep. And and people are moving to get their friends into these job positions. We got to, um, we got to, we got to, it's going to be painful. 
And I think you're right. Like I look at the American church, I think there is way too much money here. Well, I want to qualify that. Well, okay. It's in the wrong places. Uh, there are dioceses that are poor. There are parishes that are poor. Um, you know, there's a reason. One of the reasons why we're going through this restructuring thing is because there are parishes that are running in the red year after year after year. Right. Um, the problem is with personal wealth among some of the clergy. Um, like that's the problem with with Bransfield. The way he was up using the money of the diocese. Yeah. So I also want to qualify that because I know there are there are parishes and there are even dioceses that are struggling. Um, but you're right. But this this personal wealth thing that's that's a huge problem. And I think part of it it's 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 in places like it seems to me it's like, I don't I don't know outside observer no experience but it mm-hmm. seems to me like a lot of this is happening in the northeast of the United States where the church has been established for a very very long time. Yep. I think the reason it hasn't really happened in Western Canada we haven't been around very long. We've been like my diocese is the oldest diocese in Western Canada and it was and our cathedral was erected in 1893. Yeah. Well, isn't that just, I mean, talk about the history of the church. That's right. often what happens. Yeah. That the church is zealous in the beginning, and yeah. then it gets comfortable, and then gets wooed by the world, yeah. and then corruption happens. Quebec. And it's something that we're constantly fighting against. Quebec. Mount Mount Hashel here is with our big abuse crisis in Canada. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying it doesn't happen here. It happens in places where the esta- where establishment and acedia kind of hits the church and sloth, and we get spiritually complacent and it's bad so we got to become saints folks yeah uh we could go on for this for a long time obviously (laughs) Uh, but we should stop here and we want to end with the prayer at the end of the book that we want to just pray with you all here as you're listening to the podcast name of the father and of the son of the holy spirit amen lord jesus christ through your incarnation you accepted a human nature and lived a real human life setting aside the glory of your divinity you met us face to face in the vulnerability of our humanity Though without sin, you accepted sinners, offering forgiveness and placing yourself before even the most unworthy as a servant and a friend. You became small and weak in the estimation of the powerful, so that you might elevate to glory the small and weak of the world. Your descent into our nature was not without risk, as it exposed you to the assaults of the darkest and most terrifying of humanity's fallen desires, our cruelty and narrowness, our deceptions and denials. All this is culminated in the cross, where your divine love was met with the full fury of our malice, our violence, and our estrangement from your grace. You offered yourself to us with innocence and receptivity, and this was met with the abuse of your body, humiliation and mockery, betrayal and isolation, torture and death. All this, even the dereliction of feeling abandoned by God, you accepted. You became a victim, so that all those victimized since the beginning of the world would know you as their advocate. You went into the darkness so that all those compelled into the dark by human wickedness would discover in you a radiant light. Grant, we pray, O Lord, healing for all victims of sexual abuse. Purify your church of corruption. Bring justice to those who have been wronged. Grant consolation to all who are afflicted. Cast your light to banish the shadows of deception. Manifest to all your advocacy of those who have been so cruelly hurt, and your judgment upon those who have, having perpetrated such crimes, remain unrepentant. Compel those in your church whom you have entrusted to safeguard the innocent and act on behalf of the victims to be vigilant and zealous in their duties. Restore faith to those from whom it has been stolen, and hope for those who have despaired. Christ the victim, we call out to you. Strengthen our 
your strengthen your faithful to accept the mission placed before us, a mission of holiness and truth. Inspire us to become advocates of those who have, har- have been harmed. Grant us strength to fight for justice. Impart to us courage so that we might forthrightly face the challenges to come. Raise up saints from your church and grant us the grace to become the saints you desire us to be. This we ask you, who live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, unfortunately, we can't have Tommy, or can we have him on? So, here's the deal, guys. We are not joking right now. We joke a lot about Tommy Ty, but this is the absolute truth. I promise you this. Tommy Ty will be on Clerically Speaking next week. We are recording with him uh, this evening. And uh, you may remember a couple episodes ago, I talked about my personal experience with depression, anxiety, and we talked about that from a priest's perspective. But Tommy actually has some expertise in that. So he's going to talk with us about that. He'll be on the whole episode. Um, So finally, really and truly, in all sincerity, Tommy Ty will be on the episode next week. I'm really looking forward to it. Now, however, we had to get him ordained a priest. Or at least, sorry, we had to get him ordained a deacon (laughs) because... It's clerically speaking, folks. I mean, come on. Don't, don't. No, we're kidding. No, 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 no. We're kidding. Uh, yes, it's we're having... regular old Tommy. We are actually, honestly, having Tommy on next yeah. week. So yeah. please make sure to t- tune in and listen. So thank you for listening. Please leave a, leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me at Father Harrison on Twitter I'm, at FR Harrison. I'm at Father Sharapa. You can contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, uh, Clerically Speaking on Facebook. Or you can email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. We're a little behind on some of the messages. I was just looking at the emails today and realized I got some answering to do. Yeah. We will get back to the you DMs soon. But, too. Uh, we appreciate the DMs, it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we have parishes and we have our own Twitter and stuff. So we're doing our best to keep up with the messaging. But thank you to everyone who's been writing in. Uh, so God bless you all. Peace.